this this by Welcome to episode 117 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today it's a Sunday night at 9pm. I think this is probably the first time we've done something this late. Yeah, I don't remember doing one this late before. I can see how it goes. Um, So the reason we couldn't do it earlier is because why? Uh, I wasn't feeling that great. I was, I was, uh, we've both been pretty sick recently, haven't we? (laughs) Well, I've been sick. Twice now, which is weird because I never get sick. Um, How's your health watch doing? In college, I got sick once in four years. <laughs> and now I've gotten sick twice in like three, two months. You can tell you're getting old because you, you, you swap stories of your latest illness. Yeah, yeah. Well, the problem is when you have kids, they're like a Petri dish. Of, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, because and you have three of them, it's just, it just increases the probability you're going to get something, I guess. <laughs> so you're up for doing a show? You feeling good? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm going to be my usual, um, usual, totally jovial self, but I'll give it a go. All Let's right. go for it. Well, so um, you want to lead off with uh, the big splash you made with Startup Guild? Yeah, so, so on, on the back of the Entreporn fallacy, um, I decided to launch... Well, I, at first, I was kind of thinking of it as like a money-making venture, but then ultimately, the more I thought about it, the more I realized this is kind of a movement rather than a business. So the startup guild, it's some people have been saying have been saying, oh, you know, is that in competition with what Rob Walling's doing? And I really don't think it is, to be honest, because it's it's basically essentially the long and the short of it is it's it's a community and it's it's just a free forum really. Right. Whereas um, what Rob what Rob's got there is you know much more well formed and defined, you know, like a a proper course and lessons, and it also doesn't really compete with Amy. To be honest, what I was thinking was that Rob and Amy should probably just um, participate because they could drive uh, the members, you know, the obviously highly targeted members to their own programs. Yeah, and the, and they each have a slightly different approach and offering, I think, don't they? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah very much so. So I, I don't think they really compete directly with one another. I think if you're interested in Amy's uh, course, I don't think you'd be as interested in Rob's and vice versa. I think they, they're slightly different. I don't know if they're not going to say goals, but they're just, they're just targeted at a different as a different type of approach. I think what I really wanted for the startup guild, right. Was just some, somewhere that I would have wanted, which is just a place where you can go and get ideas validated, you know, so you can say, Hey, I've got an idea. What do you guys think of it? And then basically be slapped on the wrist and told, well, actually, it's not really about ideas so much. But anyway, show us your idea. And and um, actually, already there's there's a few people who've posted up their ideas and mock-ups and um, people, you know, asking kind of salient questions and getting salient answers. So it's it's kind of working well, you know. There's, um, well, on on the mailing list, the, the original MailChimp mailing list, there's 450 members on that now. Okay, wait, now you got that, there's 450 people because you... You uh, wrote something and submitted to Hacker News, right? Yeah, basically just introducing the startup guild. Yeah, and it made it to four hundred and, and it made it to the front page and got how many points did it get? On- uh, like about a hundred points. Okay, so so I had a had a good showing and you got a solid four hundred fifty people sign up and then of the four hundred fifty people on the emailing list email list, how many of them um, actually created an account on at startupguild.net? 
235. That's not bad. That's yeah, not, it's bad. not bad, that's, is it? That's so, not bad. That's, but, enough for, I mean, that's enough for community. I mean, it's not like it's, I mean, if you had like 17, I'd be like, whoa, that's, that's going to well, be I mean, tough. The, right? the whole thing kind of uh, led up to the weekend. So what happened was there was, there was the kind of activity on Thursday. Then Friday, there was a lot of activity. But then when it came up to Friday evening, it basically went down to pretty much zero activity. And then over the weekend as well, it's been kind of low. But I'll, I'll ping off another um, mail on Monday to the to the mail list and say hey you know go back in kind of thing. and one thing you were talking about you were in the last show you were talking the name you were using was web app guild yeah so people, yeah, so, are so people should know that startup guild is jason's suggestion for which i'm eternally grateful it's very very good no problem <laughs> well i first suggested app guild yeah and uh, i was thinking about it, i'm like i don't like that either and then i realized you know what web app guild is too restrictive app guild is a little too I don't know if it's not so restrictive. It just doesn't sound have a good sound to it. And then I, I thought about it. I'm like, really, it's Startup Guild. That's really what it is. So, um, and luckily you were able to get the .NET, so that was great. And it it seems to be a little bit more like, I mean, obviously it's only very early stages right now. But I think what it could potentially be, if if people kind of cared about it and kind of nurtured it, it could basically be like a virtual version of um, Y Combinator, you know, like a distributed version of Y Combinator in a sense, where um, People could, you know, uh, could come and help each other, and that kind of incubator environment of, but a kind of virtual incubator. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. No. Here's here's something I've been thinking about last couple of days. Um, as sort of, uh, not necessarily. I don't mean it to be a criticism, but I, as sort of um, a suggestion, I guess. Sure. Which is this. Um, you know, one thing you did, which is really good, is that you use off-the-shelf software to get up and going. Right, yeah. got like a there's like to create like discussion forums and people can have profiles and stuff. Right, it's like a WordPress plugin or something. It was and it WordPress and surprising how much you know how how far along the path of what was needed could be done just just by install you know spending a couple of hours installing WordPress. Okay, so that's good. So that that was the right thing is to get something up and going. But here's here are a couple of things that I think probably need to happen if this thing's going to succeed. One, you need to make uh, it clear like what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. because you, you have, there's, there's a million, there's a lot of different starts. There's sites like on startups and.com where it's kind of like people ask questions or they kind of discussion forums, but I think it's kind of limited in what you can accomplish, um, through discussion forums. Um, in, in some cases you can, you know, get answers to things which are great and you can get certain types of support, but it's, there's a, there's a limit because it's so generic and it's also just very, um, uh, typical, right? I mean, there's like, okay, so, I'm going to come here and it's just yet another discussion forum with my profile. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. I mean, this has been around for 20 years. Like, why, what is it really going to do for me? I mean, why am I going to spend time here? Um, and so I think a couple of things. One, I, I would say make sure that you come up with some very specific goals of things that you're going to try and do and try and make those happen, whatever those goals are. Um, and the it kind of, and the second thing is, I would say, um, you need to probably create some software, even if it's simple software, to drive towards those goals, to make those interactions happen. Because the the nebulous nature of a discussion forum makes it so that it's like a nebulous activity. And the, what's great about sort of web-based software is that you can construct um, and sort of corral behavior of your users to make a community do something. So for instance, things like Dig and Reddit, even though you'd say, oh, they're just like Slashdop, they weren't. They were subtle adjustments to something where people could submit 
information links or whatever and all of a sudden people are voting on it and things and it becomes a completely different thing and i'm thinking whatever it is you want to do with this thing um and, and the community wants to do right because you're sort of just you know trying to help the community find um a way to get some things done is come up with some ideas for some simple software to really specifically get that stuff done yeah i mean i i, I completely agree with you um but there's a couple of uh, caveats mm-hmm. one is uh time like so if if, so if if it's not going to you know pay pay its way then in a sense i don't really have the time to kind of get involved in it to that level so what i was kind of thinking was okay look clearly there is you know fifty thousand people viewed that post and there was a huge amount of support for it and then i just put this thing out there and it's kind of created like a nucleus of a community and at least those people from that time have somewhere to go and talk. And then some of the things that they wanted to be able to do was to find other uh, entrepreneurs and maybe make partnerships. So, so it has a kind of profile system where you can say what you're working on and what you're doing. And it also has a way that you can submit your projects. But what I will say is that it's not very well driven and it's not very, very well funneled. And from user journey point of view, it's pretty awful. I mean, you know, it could be a lot better I mean, one of the one of the key things that I wanted was for people to be able to do set up mastermind groups, and it doesn't really cater to that. There's no process for that, and also when you go to the homepage, there's no process really guiding you around. What is this thing? Like, it certainly isn't. Like when you go to Nosby, right? Nosby dot com. It's like, oh, I know exactly what this is. I know exactly why it's useful to me. When you go to Startup Guild, it like there's there's just nothing there explaining it. It's just kind of hanging in the air. Yeah, which which could, you know, so it could be a very big disappointment because you get a bunch of people who are excited about doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They want to they want to help each other. They want to make something happen. Um, they want to make something happen for themselves. And if the software isn't there to 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 really facilitate that, you could have a bunch of people just get out there. They log in a few times, read a few posts, and they're just like, okay, you know. I mean, well, could the software be made through Apicnite? Possibly. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, we'll have to see what you want to do and, and, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, they probably could do help with that. But I would just, you know, I just would, it would be disappointing for you to go to the trouble of getting this up and for it to kind of stillbirth, right? You get a bunch of people, everybody signs up, and then it's just a discussion forum and people are just like, eh, okay. You know, yeah. it's like, you got to make it happen. Otherwise, screw it. And that's sort of my, always my attitude is like, if you're not going to do it right, just don't do it. And that's why my view of everything. And and I think you, you, you want to be careful of that because otherwise it's just, it's just, and essentially it'll just be a big waste of time unless you decide to put time into it, make it happen. Well, that's right. But what, but I mean, another thing that's happening and this kind of always happens when you put these things up, because essentially this is like an MVP, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is, is there are a few people um, who are more committed than others. And through those people, as long as I can keep engaged, engaged with them and they can keep engaged with me, we can drive this thing forward. It's going to be difficult for me to just off my own back, you know, keep it moving forward and keeping on shaping it, especially when I don't really have any kind of business model for it yet. I mean, it, you know, it, it just depends on. I, well, I think, I think every movement requires a leader. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you can't just get there and go, oh, we're doing a movement, but we're all just kind of going to do it together. <laughs> That's not how the world works. You know, I know it's sort of kumbaya, we're all going to do it. It's just bullshit. It never happens that way. Yeah. And somebody has to take it, take the reins and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. And this is why it's going to work. And this is why it's worth your time. And, and you know, and this is what you're going to get out of it, you know. And, you know, you, you can you can do that you know, with a variety of different styles. And some people are more 
forceful and other people's are more cajoling and, and things, but whatever. But ultimately, somebody has to take the reins and decide that they're going to funnel energy and time and effort and personality into it to make it a reality. Otherwise, it's just going to be a bunch of people kind of mulling around, going, okay, either virtually or in real life. And you Do you know, think it could be done through, um, through kind of guided blog posts, or does it have to be done through a software fashion? I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I, it's like, it's like I, I didn't have a specific uh, solution to like which, what the software is, but I know software, if people are going to be, uh, be interacting via a website, well, then the way you corral that and direct it is through software rules, right? You submit this, you click here, you do that. I mean, you know, Stack Overflow has a set of rules that defines behaviors. Quora has a set of rules. Dig has a set of rules. I mean, every community, every website where we interact, Facebook has a set of rules that sort of direct and facilitate and encourage certain types of behavior. Twitter, right? So you have to figure out what it is that you want people to do and, you know, along with what your key people, key community members want to have happen and experiment with with it. And so I'm not exactly sure, but it kind of reminded me of this. Like, do you ever watch the TV series Lost? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, my favorite, my favorite uh, season was probably season one because I was fascinated by the fact you had all these people marooned on this island, right? But nowhere, nobody ever got together and said, all right, we need to come up with a plan. Let's go around and say, okay, what do you know how to do? Are you, do you know how to fish? Do you know how to build stuff? Do you know how to hunt? You know, do you know how to, you know, whatever. What, what can everybody do? What do we need to have done? Let's come up with groups. Let's get organized and make this happen. Every, and, but of course, that probably would have worked against the, you know, just plot of just kind of con- general confusion. But I've always thinking like, man, if I was on an island, I would get this thing organized. <laughs> I would say, all right, you know, so screwing around. Hopefully we'll get, a, we'll, we'll get rescued, but who knows how to make a boat? You know, I mean? let's just make it happen. And I was kind of thinking, this is kind of reminds me of like Lost. Okay, you know, you have like 250 people marooned on this beach and everyone's kind of mulling around. And the question is, Okay, who's going to take the reins and make something happen and figure well, out the what, difference what you got? Is, the difference is, is that you've got 250 people who want to get something from it, not who mm-hmm. want to give something to it, which is different, right? So if, if, you, if you had uh, 250 people actually remo- marooned on an island, like they'd all have a common goal of getting off. Whereas the issue here is they don't really have that common goal other than they just want to build a successful startup for themselves and meet someone who may help them do that. I think they're kind of similar, right? Because if you're on a beach, right? I mean, ultimately, people just want to get out of there. They want to get fed. and Nobody wants to do anything. People just want to get something out of stuff. And they only realize later that they have to put in something to get something out, right? They, they, they understand, okay, it's become clear that if I do X, I get Y. You know, whether you're on a beach, you feel, okay, well, if I do this and I, learn, and I help with the fishing or the hunting, then I get to eat, you know? So or, maybe it's as simple as like a, like a rabble-rousing blog post saying, you know, if you want something to happen, then you need to put some time into this. Yeah, but that's not going to, that's, that's, that's just, that's not going to do anything, right? Because um, you have to follow that up with very specific, like we're going to do X, Y, here's the plan. Somebody has to have a plan. And that somebody <laughs> is you. You have that's to come right. up with a plan and you have to do something. So <laughs> if your idea was, I'm going to get all these people together, I'm going to write this one blog post and I'm going to create some, post up some vanilla software for a couple hours and then just magically out of just a miracle um, some amazing movement is going to happen. That's not going to happen. I could guarantee you. You're going to have to like do what I've been suggesting. I think. I well, it's funny because um, if you if you look back to think about Plugio, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, Plugio, it's the same thing. Like set this thing up, get these people on, and then I'm like, oh god, I'm bored with this now, and just leave it for like six months, and it goes on on its own. Mm-hmm. And then it's only when I kind of go, okay, I'm going to focus on it now that then it starts having growth. You know. 
Yeah. So you have to, you have to funnel energy into things and, uh, and energy and leadership and ideas and everything else. Um, and it helps if you can get um, a group of collaborators. In your case, maybe it's a group of like lieutenants, people who are like, okay, they're not going to be the driving, you know, figurehead and personality, but they're the people who say, okay, I don't want that much responsibility, but I will do X and Y because I like to do those things and I can do them and I want to see something happen, you know. And I, I, I mean, and I could use example of like uh, my soccer team, which I you know ran for ten years, and uh, you know, it, I was the leading you know, force, right. It was my, th- my team. I made the decisions. I you know, decided we're going to play in this tournament. Or are we going to, you know, recruit these guys? We're going to cut these guys or what are we going to do? Right. And, but I brought in, you know, I, I figured out really quickly who were the most, comp- you know, the most, um, sort of reliable, energetic, um, people who had leadership skills. And I, and I made them like, you know, sort of, involved in that way and gave them some responsibility. And, you know, none of them really wanted to do all the work that I was putting into it, but they did enjoy having a little more say and a little more control over things. And uh, those people help a lot. I wonder how you'd find those people through a system like this. I mean, is it a question of, I mean, well, that's what I'm doing. It's like seeing who's engaged and seeing what they're doing and then kind of, you know, private messaging them and saying, hey, look, I see you're kind of engaged in this. Would you like to get a little bit more involved in the leadership aspect? Well, I think you, like you have to be specific. So I think you have to say, okay, you have to go, well, here's what I'm thinking, right? Here, here's what I think needs to happen. And this is in the order it needs to happen. Um, what do you think? And wh- where could you help? Could you do this? Do you think? Would you like to do X? You know, this is what I think needs to happen. And, and maybe you get a little bit of pushback and it turns out one of the four or five things that you want to do is kind of dumb and irre- irrelevant. But at the very least, you know, this whole idea of just like, um, I'm just going to throw it out to everybody and have the group drive it. I mean, I'm telling you, that's going to go nowhere fast. You're going to have to come up with the ideas and the plan. Like this is software we need to build to facilitate masterminding. And this is and what we're going to do. A mastermind is going to go through steps and then there's going to be a time thing and there's going to be goals and then there's going to be, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah. I think. All right. Whether well, you want to do it or not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's, you've certainly given me something to think about. And I wish it, I wish I was completely corpus mentis at the moment because I'd be able to uh, really soak it on, soak it up. But um, I think I'll think about it over the next week or so. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. you got. Well, the thing is, you got this thing going, so you know, you either do something with it or you don't, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think like a lot of people they sign for stuff and they and you have an initial um, period of of enthusiasm, but if you don't capture it and do anything with it quickly, it's going to dissipate and people are going to disengage and just be and, and lose interest. Right. You're gonna have you. You have a very you have a you have a. There's a lot of time decay in this thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you have a lot of time before you start before it starts to fade unless unless people see a reason why this thing is use, is 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 um, worthy of their time and energy. I hear you. So okay, enough of that. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, so tell me how um how Epic Night's coming on. Well, I don't know. I got a couple of things to say was kind of about it that are kind of interesting. So, um. I get a I got an email from a guy. Um, I uh, think I saw that one. Is that the one that came to podcast? I might have been Kevin. Um, Kevin. He, he basically said he wanted to do some. Um, he, he had some app ideas that he wanted to build, and App Ignite sounded like the perfect tool. Um, no. Um, okay. This is a this is another. There was another. I got there's a few of those. Um, I came from a guy named uh, Kevin Regan, and he's a you know he's young, he's twenty four, twenty five, and he's like, hey. Um, you know, I liked your 
blog and it seems like you're doing really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm a PHP, Python, JavaScript guy. And, you know, essentially what he was looking for was like, um, you know, hey, if I need help with anything or if, if I knew of any consulting work, like he was looking for some work, but he was also saying, even if, if not, that he would like me to mentor him. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, and it was kind of a flattering pose. Like, hey, I respect you and, you know, based on the stuff that I read about you and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of nice, <laughs> you know. And I didn't really have much of an answer for him. I kind of sat in my inbox for a day or two. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't really have time to mentor anyone. I barely have time to do basic things I need to get done. Um, but then what's funny is that within maybe 24 hours, 48 hours of his email, I had three people contact me. They needed help with projects, like consulting hmm. projects. And I was like, all right, you're up, kid. <laughs> I guess I was almost going to send him an email like, hey, I don't really know what that, you know, I don't have anything for you. But then I called him up and I basically said, look, you know, um, I talked to Taylor um, Norris over at Print Friendly and he's like, hey, do you, you know any, you know, JavaScript programmers because I need some, some things done. I'm like, well, this guy might be able to help you out. And then uh, a, cu- a couple a couple other things. And, um, and so it was funny because the first thing I take out of that was that don't be afraid to send people an email if you're looking to do stuff, right? You know, because you <laughs> your, know, your your inbox is about to get full of uh, email. You do realize well, that. Don't I don't you? necessarily send it to me, but I mean, send it to if there if there are people that you know whatever you work on, right? I mean, let's say you're a Python coder, right? And and you're looking to pick up some consulting work, or you want to work on some cool project, and there's some people in the community. Um, either in the open source world or whatever that you know about, I mean, don't be afraid to send a personalized email like that and tell them what you what you do and how good you are and what you want to do and and uh, you know just like um, James Altucher, the interview we did with him and mm-hmm. how he sent all these emails, these cold emails, and most people didn't respond, but he did get some responses, and those turned out to be incredible opportunities. That's right. And um, you know the fact that Kevin bothered to send me a nice email and. Uh, and it, it kind of got like it was his luck surface area, increased his luck surface area. Right? He could have just sat in his office going, gee, I wish I had more consulting work, but I don't. I don't know what to do. He got proactive and sent someone an email, and it turns out that I'm directing at least one, if not three, projects his way. <laughs> That's <laughs> so fantastic. I think that I thought that was pretty um, cool. So um, the other thing about it, which is interesting, is that well, two of the projects that I may have for him are the kind of projects that are set up perfectly for Epic Night, which means that they're primarily web applications, right? Very heavy on the user interface stuff. And I said, you know what? And I told him, I I said, you know, let me talk to these people first and get a sense of what what the project entails. But I have a feeling that this is the kind of thing that I could give a fixed bid on the project. I could probably undercut, you know, a lot of domestic um, companies because I can do it so much faster with Epic Night. Um, and then what I could do is offload any custom programming to you. And so you can make, you know, I get you some work, give you a nice, you know, um, cut or, you know, nice paycheck, and then I can get a nice um, chunk out of this thing. And yeah, that's, that's the perfect way. I mean, I think we've discussed this before. That is the perfect way to self-fund the growth of Epic Night, to basically use it to build your clients' websites and take yep. out the core components and separate the custom stuff. Yeah, that's very good. Exactly. Well, and, and because, you know, the, I'm sure what will happen is like, okay, you know, here, Epic Knight can do everything we want except for these five things, right? Two of them, uh, I could probably build, uh, they're, they're in line with what I need to do anyway in the short term, so I'll build generators for them, right? The other three things you can custom code, 
and uh, and that'd be perfect, right? And just like you said. So I thought that was really interesting. And of course, he's up for it. And um, we'll see how it goes with a couple of projects. But um, yeah, and then of course, we'll be able to deliver really high quality software for a really reasonable price to people, which will be great. So um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, so, okay, great. Well, so uh, with the other aspects of Epic Night in terms of getting something out from an alpha point of view, or will, will this now be your kind of, your first alpha, your first um, beta product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I have a few people who signed up for, you know, a couple friends of mine. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm waiting to get feedback. Lance uh, Jones, if you remember, we interviewed him. He's got an alpha account and a couple other people. And I'm not sure how much time they've had to play with it. You know, I just got an email from, from Lance and he's like, oh, I'm just getting back into it. I've been doing other stuff. And, you know, so... I, you know, and I, and I think, and, um, I think I need to make a few more fixes before I roll it out to more people. Did you get one to, uh, your, uh, Ruby friend, uh, Matt, Pat, Pat Maddox, Pat, Pat Maddox. Yeah. yeah. Pat. Um, I gave him a demo. I gave him, uh, yeah, you know what? Actually I gave, yeah, that's right. I gave him a demo and, um, he had some ideas for stuff he wanted to build, but, um, we ran into four or five bugs that, that I wanted to fix first before he built anything that were yeah. directly going to be affecting what he wanted to do. And the other thing was he really wanted the same thing that you wanted, which is a way to do like voting, right? Uh, like up or down, yeah. something like dig style or uh, like something or if you like or unlike or vote or upvote, it's the same mechanism, right? It's just, you know, how you display it semantically. Um, and so I've been spending the week this past week working on that and I got a lot of it working. Um, is that the Ajax side of things you've been working on? Well, it's, it's both side, right? So you have to, have, you have to create like a... Um, uh, you have to create a separate table for votes, right? Because it's a many-many relationship, and you gotta. Then, based on that, you gotta like if you change the name of it, or you you do this or that, or you change the structure of it, it has to do all kind of schema changes, and you gotta do the you know the mod, you know, all the model generation changes. A lot, there's a lot of pieces to make it all work. Um, and uh, and then there's generating the the, the client side JavaScript and the HTML and the PHP. You have to have sort of like essentially an API, right? Because it's going back through Ajax and it has to create hit some kind of an API that then does something to the, uh, you know, to the database, yeah, the model. So, it's a lot of pieces. It's like a you know, fifteen step, <laughs> fifteen pieces or something or ten pieces maybe. Um, so, it, well, you could probably hack something together. It's not. It doesn't really work unless you get all those pieces together. So, I've been working on that. And um, the, the way I do, I, I I do things with Epic Night usually is I build something by hand. And then I work backwards and I create a generator from it. It's like, okay, so let's, what does the table look like for votes? Okay, so how do we, okay, now let's change the, the automatic migration code so that it knows how to like create that table and alter it and do all those things, right? What is mm -hmm. the PHP going to look like? What's the model code? What's the SQL going to look like? And, you know, so then you have to create generate. You write it by hand, you get it all to work, and then you say, okay, now I can write a generator for each segment of this sort of process. Mm. So. Awesome. So the thing is that he needed he needed the same thing you needed, and and based on the couple of things that I, the the two or three of the of the sort of demo apps that I wanted to build to demonstrate what Epic Night is capable of, really required some kind of a, you know liking or voting, and because if I want to build like a Reddit or our Hacker News clone and give like a screencast how it's done, well it's not going to be really interesting if you can't vote. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> And I'd I'd really like that. I mean, that would to me would be quite a good thing to get into the startup guild thing. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so that's why I've been working on it, right? I, I said, all right, well, I'm going to get this voting liking um, thing work, fix a couple of these bugs, and then I'll try and roll it out to another, you know, maybe a dozen people or so. And I've got emails from maybe half a dozen people who, were, who, had, who had said something like, hey, you know, I've asked for a request and just to, I want to put my uh, name in there again. So I look at some people who, who apparently have stuff they want to build and think Epic Night might be helpful. So oh, I'll yeah. go straight to them. Including I mean, me. Yeah, I mean, I want to go to people who who definitely want to use it and legitimately have something they want to build. Because if you get people who are just like sort of interested, or it sounds it sounds like an interesting thing, but don't really have something to build, this is not going to be useful. For you. you have to have somebody who has a very specific problem uh, of the category that App Ignite would be a good fit for that they need solved. You know, because then they'll really try and make App Ignite do it. If you have someone who's just kind of poking around and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. exactly, it's just, it's just like it's not it's not really useful. So. Um, yeah, the other thing that was interesting, the other, uh, sort of, um, alpha user I have is, is Sandy. So, um, oh, really? so I'm in the kitchen, um, making my lunch and Sandy goes, let's say I wanted like, you know, an, an application that will allow me to track, you know, cause, uh, this, you know, they, they have, she works for the, uh, or she's a, uh, a member of the junior league, which is like this women's organization, uh, volunteer organization. And so they have all these different committees that work with different, types of groups, right? One might work with um, middle school girls. One might work with raising money for some other, you know, thing. And, uh, and so they have to track all of these, you know, funding, fundraising things, and they have to have contacts and they have to be able to track, you know, kind of like a CRM type of thing. Yeah. Who contact this person and under what conditions and for what event and, you know, and they had like, you know, this was like six or seven different tables, essentially, with different types of relationships. And, and so she's telling me about it, and she's kind of smiling because she knows what I'm going to say. And she's <laughs> like, well, how long is it going to take to build that? I'm like, well, it depends if I wash my hands first or not. <laughs> you know? so I said, all right, let me just finish making my uh, lunch, and we'll go sit down, and I'll walk you through it. So, you know, I, I built it for her, and I said, all right, well, here, here you go. And, and, um, and it did everything, you know, that she would need it to do. And I said, now we just need to, you know, make it look like, cause of course when it looks, it looks very vanilla, you know, it yeah. looks like you know, everything's in a table and it looks kind of like what, like say rails. So is she just going to use it for herself or is she going to use it for? No, there people? are like, there are maybe three or five other women in the organization who are going to be need, needing to access the data. And, you know, yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Cause you, you don't, you don't realize how, how, uh, much, how many different types of problems can be solved with good a good web app? Yeah, uh, it's just that it takes. It's so it's usually so expensive and time consuming that people don't consider it. They just they try and track it in in spreadsheets and in uh, word docs and emailing crap around in this very ad hoc, sloppy, minimalistic way. And that's just all you can they can afford to do, right? But um, yeah, so that was kind of cool. That was fun. So has she has she started using it, uh, or is, is she just kind of looked at it and said, "I like it." Um, so I built it for her, and I said, "All right, here's your login." And you know, I think she added a friend of hers uh, who's in the league who needs to have access to it. And I, I'm not sure. Maybe she did some work, and I haven't. I haven't talked to her about it since Wednesday or Thursday. Well, well next weekend, you better you better tell us what's going on. That would be really interesting to see. So she yeah. really is. She's the first Epic Night user. It's happened. This is this is monumental. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, that's it. That's that's customer zero. Customer zero is my wife. <laughs> yeah, customer zero is my wife. Oh, that that has to be the title of the show. <laughs> so, um, 
a, a couple of things uh, interesting I'll, I'll just bring up. Um, so, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation yeah. in the past in terms of, um, you know, because the book Freakonomics talks a lot about that, about how you don't want to replace intrinsic uh, motivation with extrinsic. So intrinsic motivation is something that you want to do just because you want to do it, mm-hmm. right? But if someone says, oh, well, I'm going to take this thing that you want to do and I'm going to reward you if you do it. Then all of a sudden yeah. it starts changing the reasons you're doing it. And you, you might be able to see that, say, like in professional athletes or something, right? Like they just played some sport because they loved it. And all of a sudden it's about money and things. And all of a sudden it starts to lose some of that luster <laughs> for them. Yeah. And, uh, and then when they don't get paid, they don't do it anymore. And, and they forget that, oh, I just used to do this because it was my favorite thing to do. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned to you or, or on the show, but so, Colby, who's six years old, is, uh, you know, he's in first grade and he's trying, to, you know, he's learning to read. And so I, about a month or six weeks ago, I, I got him a book. He wanted, he wanted me to get him this book. Um, we were at the bookstore and it was like, um, it was for eight to 12 year olds. And I was like, well, Colby, I, you know, this might be a little above, a little over your head, right? And he, but he really wanted So what am I going to do, right? I mean, if he wants a book, I'll get him a book. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I get him the book and I'm like, all right. And he's so excited about it. Like, you know, we went to he and I. We went and grabbed a burger at the uh, Johnny Rockets or something. He's like reading, trying to read the book while we're sitting there. And I'm like, oh wow, he's really into it. And sure enough, like every night, he wants to read now. Like before, it was like pulling teeth to get him to read. I'm like, hey, Colby, want to practice reading? He's like, oh, I'm too tired. <laughs> what yeah. was the book? Um, it was called Big Nate, and it was written by the same guy who did the series called Diary of a Wimpy Kid. If you've heard of that, huh. there's been a couple movies out. They're, re- they're really popular. And it's really, you know, aimed like at the, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade kind of age group. So what, what was it about the book that kind of got him so, because he, he's usually really into tech and building and stuff. Yeah, he really wasn't into reading, you know. I mean, he just, uh, he would only do it if, if it sort of made him, and since it was too painful to make him sit down and read, I didn't do it to him very much. Um, he, um, it, it was sort of a cross between like a cartoon and just a normal book. Huh. Right. So you'd see like you'd read like a paragraph and then it might be a little like a little like uh, cartoon of the action that's taking place and then a little bit more text and then maybe another cartoon on the next page. So it makes it a little easier, I think, for them to understand what's going on. Right. If it's just, if it's just a wall of text and they're just intimidated by yeah. um, it, it's, it bridges. But that. it's weird it, that it's that book that really caught his attention and he's like, OK, this is this is I, what I want, Dad. This is going to change my whole life. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he thought that, but it, <laughs> it, the reason it caught his attention, I think, is that. Um, both the characters, the both series were sort of this, um, uh, ir- the characters are very irreverent. So Big Nate is very irreverent, and, it, and, and both of them are kind of written as a journal, the kid's journal, talking. Oh, right. He's yeah. this kind of smarky, snarky, smart-assy, you know, kind of way of describing things. And it's very funny. It really is funny. And I think even he, just by reading, looking at the pictures and, 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 and sort of reading the captions, like he, he, realized, he kind of sensed the irreverence. And <laughs> you know, he wouldn't have a way of even describing that that's what appealed to him. I think that's what appealed to him. And because um, you could tell it was funny too. And so anyway, he, he, his reading has just improved dramatically. Like he went from being sort of just in the bottom third of his class to now he's up at the, the, the top level and his teacher took him. She's like, Colby's reading has just taken off. I'm like, yeah, I know. I only, and it's just because he wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. Which is really cool. And so, and part of me is like, Oh yeah, I'd be, you know, like how, how fast can we go? Can I, you know, how fast can we move? But I'm like, I don't want to mess with that. Right. Like I don't, 
I don't say, hey, Colby, let's read. I'm like, it's his thing, and I don't have to do anything. In fact, it, I can use it against him and say, Colby, if you don't hurry up and brush your teeth, you don't fish your dinner, we're not going to have time to read. So <laughs> hurry up, right? <laughs> as, a parent, always, as a parent, you're always looking at leverage because your kids are never moving fast enough and they're never doing what they're supposed to be doing. So if you, like, you have to say, well, if you don't do X, why won't happen, right? And, um, and so he does it, right? He's like, oh, he hurry up and gets, you know, brushes his teeth or does whatever he's supposed to do so that we have time to read. And, uh, but then the other thing that was interesting is, so, and, and you might remember this from our interview with Patrick McKenzie, where the, uh, is about the uh, Dolce sight words. He, cause he said that his bingo cards are based on the Dolce sight words, which are sort of, there's a list of words, um, from like the first, they divide them up from like grade one through six or something like that. And there's a list of words that are sort of not necessarily fanatic, but are very common and critical to understand if you're going to be able to read. Mm-hmm. And so, the, and they, but it, and it's and if kids could just memorize the word those words, and they can usually understand the other words by sounding them out phonetically, right? So you you, you so the bingo playing bingo with these words helps helps the kids. Have you mem- done that with Colby? Well, yeah. So our our, our teacher, I mean, I'm Colby's teacher, you know. Uh, gave out like the first through third grade Dolce sight words. And so it's like a hundred words per grade. So it was a 300 words or something. And he kind of got through the first, like the first and second grade one without too much trouble. But again, it was sort of painful. Like I say, Kobe, let's work on your sight words. And he's just like, oh, I don't want to do it. You yeah. know? Right. And so, but then I just like, you know, so th- there was this weekend I said, Hey, Kobe, you want to make a deal? He's like, yeah, <laughs> he likes deals, right? And go, how about if you, if you can do the 10th and 11th and 12th levels, which is third grade, if you can get those perfect this weekend, I'll take you to get ice cream. He's like, all right. You know, <laughs> and you know how long it took us to do that? It took us three sessions of five minutes each. And but, but hold on. Isn't that an, an extrinsic uh, reward? Extrinsic, right. So, I, I went with the intrinsic for something that he, because there was intrinsic motivation there, right? He was intrinsically motivated to read. So I don't have to push it. I don't want to replace it with anything. I'm just going to let that thing go. Hopefully it'll just keep going. and We'll ride it as far as we can ride it, right? But I also knew that the sight words were the kind of thing that if he was going to improve his reading fast enough, because when we're reading these books, they're, reading, they're really written for the fourth or fifth grade reading level, which is quite a challenge. I mean, Koi's six, <laughs> so it's a bit of a challenge. And so, you know, every fifth or sixth or seventh word, there'd be kind of word that it's a little bit of a struggle. And, it, and, and those are sight words, right? Those are my third or fourth or fifth grade sight words. So I, under, I, I know, I, so I understood that, okay, if we get through some of these sight words, it's going to make his reading take off, but I have to somehow figure out how to do that without killing this other thing. So I just, it's a separate thing, right? I ex- use extrinsic motivation on the sight word memorization and, the, uh, and let the intrinsic um, motivation work its magic for just reading the book. So that was kind of an interesting sort of case study. And it worked, right? I mean, it wasn't even that painful. I mean, I think maybe three separate sessions of maybe five, ten minutes tops. And he, he, by the day, he, he, he memorized them perfectly. Just all hundred words, bang, 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 boom. All right, Dad, let's get some ice cream. Sounds awesome. Now you need to see if you can scale it to all your other kids. Well, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get them up through. I, I went and looked at the site words on the web through up through sixth grade. I'm like, we can do these. I'm like, before the end of the year, I'm like, I told, I told Sam, I'm like, we're going to. I'm going to have him done through sixth grade. So he's, he'll, he'll probably end up being one of those kids who, like, he's almost too challenging then, where you'll have to go and find more and more stuff until eventually he's starting to write the books. I don't know. You know, I mean, 
yeah, I mean, Colby's a bright kid. There's no question he's a bright kid, but, um, you know, there's a difference between being a bright kid who gets, you know, straight A's or mostly straight A's and all that kind of stuff to being a kid who's like four years ahead in school. Right, um, right. Just, just because he's reading at a higher reading level and, and, and everything. I mean, I think, I think he has his talents, like a lot of these kids. I mean, I think he's really good technically. Um, but, you know, um, there are other kids that are reading at a fourth or fifth grade reading level in the first grade who are really, you know, because that's one thing that a lot of parents kind of focus on because mm. it's the general importance of being able to read. Because when you read sooner, you read more. Yeah, I remember seeing like on YouTube some three-year-old kid basically talking through all of the countries of the world on a map. And that was like, what? that just looks weird. Yeah, I don't see. I don't waste any time with that. I mean, it's basically, for the most part, I don't want to. I don't want to push him anything. I mean, he. You have to kind of push him to do their homework because they never want to do their homework. Their ten minutes of math homework at night or whatever. It's that's always a little bit painful to get him to do it because that's just how kids are for the most part. Um, or at least that's how Colby is. Like that's for sure. But um, you know, and I'm not going to push him to do anything because you could just squeeze out the love of learning, right? You just kill it. So, all yeah. right. Well, I think that uh, I think we've done done this one. Yeah, Probably need so, to move well, on. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to clarify something. Um, okay. There was a, I, I did a little bit of a, a of a explanation of game theory in the last uh, weekend show, right? Yeah. And you were writing up a description of your, uh, of the startup guild and you used game theory um, in the place of something that's similar in name, but it's completely different. I wanted to explain that because I think some of the people who, if they weren't really familiar with these, either of these terms might be a little, it might be a lot clearer to them as well. Yeah. So game theory is a branch of applied mathematics, which is used to understand um, optimal strategies when you're trying, to, when you know what might be the possible moves of your opponent. And it's used in biology and politics and economics primarily. And there are all kinds of different um you would call them games, but it's not games in the sense of like checkers, it's games in a very mathematical sense. Like we're going to describe this very basic situation, and there's like, there's like, um, oh, oh, a two-person game. We have zero sum. Is prisoner's, prisoner's dilemma one of those kind of games? That's one game. That's one particular. It's a it's a two-person zero-sum symmetric game. So there are non there are non-zero-sum games, right? So like where both of us could win in an aggregate, we won more than, you know, or there's zero-sum where I win only as much as you lose. And vice right. versa, right? Okay. There are asymmetric, which means your payoff is higher than my payoff, right? Maybe- so the other one is game mechanics, right? Right. So in other words, I say, so, there's, there's, so the, the game theory is, is a branch of mathematics, a branch of, of or kind of between applied math and economics. And there's all these different types of complex games from very simple Blizzard's Dilemma to all these more complex ones that get into like, you know, information theory. Do you have information on your opponent, what they're going to do? Um, is there a probabilistic nature to it? All that kind of stuff. Does, that, the, does um, stock, like, you, you know, when they kind of create this stock, they kind of use uh, stock markets as predictors, but it's like... Mm-hmm. The, the, it's stock markets of ideas or predictions kind of thing. Does that, is that also the game, game theory? I don't know if you could really describe a market in terms of game theory. I mean, you could, you could maybe come up with a simulation where you have all these different agents and it's this in-person game of imperfect information and probabilistic in nature. And maybe it is, maybe it can be categorized in terms of a game, but... I think it might be hard to do that because essentially what you know is there's all these participants in this market. You don't know how many they are. You don't know anything about what they 
are doing and stuff. So it might be hard to analyze from a game um, game uh, theoretic framework. Right. Okay. But that's just now the other the term that you you end up using, um, which is the correct term, which is called game mechanics, which is sort of um, things like leveling up and getting badges. Um, what makes a game fun and engaging, or what makes a process fun and a game and, and engaging? So, you know, game mechanics and games use game. Are, you know, are described through mechanics like what makes Farmville fun or something like that, or what makes chess or checkers fun. Um, and there are game mechanics. It's leveling up. It's increasing difficulty. It's you know whatever. And a lot of companies are attempting to use game mechanics in their apps to get people engaged in doing them. So Foursquare uses game mechanics. You get badges the more you check in a place. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking about for Startup Guild. So I was thinking about using that game mechanics so that um, basically you could form groups of mastermind groups and then you could have leaderboards and badges and you know show the achievements that you've created. But obviously it would require building a custom piece of software, as you say. I mean, that would be the kind of whole channeling thing. Yeah, I mean, Reddit, Hacker News, and Dig, they're, they use games, you get karma by yeah. submitting something. You know, you get karma by, you know, making a karma, but people give you points up. So that's, that's a game, um, that's a type of game mechanic. Or it's very simple, that one, but it's very effective. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I, what's his, um, oh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, uh, Fred Wilson over at uh, Union Square Ventures is always talking about the importance of game mechanics and the companies that they invest in. You know, it's just kind of like the new thing. It's, a, it's a, you know, I think Foursquare was one of those companies that really sort of showed how you could use it. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure you could come up going back other examples, but. I'm just wondering, there's, there's successful companies that don't really use game mechanics. Um, like, uh, is Groupon game mechanic driven or it's just. No, I don't think so. Well, unless you think of. The fact that people like to get deals, but I don't really yeah. think that's game mechanics. But I think what happens is that, you know, when investors or people understand that some attribute of a company is contributing to their success, then they want to sort of isolate that and, and understand it and apply it to everything. To replicate as, it, yeah. Yeah, well, viral. Everything has to be viral. Or everything has yeah, to be that dri- that kind of drives me nuts because it because certain products should be... Like, it depends on the product, right? So, for example, Dropbox. With with the right application, Dropbox can be a viral product. It wasn't when they first launched it, but then it became viral because they understood how to apply viral mentality to it. But for example, a newsreader, right? How do you make a newsreader viral? You know, it's like something like Pulse. It's going to be really, di- you know what Pulse is, right? It's like an iPad newsreader. Right, right. Like how, how would you make that viral? You know, it's it, because oh. there's, there's not the same kind of incentives for what, what, you know, what would you do? Like send it to your friend and say, I, I can't even think of a, a way to make it viral off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, not everything is social or viral or is a game, but people still find it compelling and useful. Right. That's, that's right. Yeah. Those like Nosby, for example, Nos- like Nosby uh, to do app, you know, or Freckle. I mean, they're not exactly social or, or viral, but they're useful. Yeah, exactly. I, I just think that, Anytime you think there, there's something that's going to allow you to add lighter, you know, lighter fluid to the fire, you know, whether it's game mechanics or, yeah, so. Um, like, I'd love to find some kind of, I mean, I've always wanted to find some kind of viral aspect to plug you, but for the life of me, I can't think of one. Yeah, I mean, if you could think of something, if there's something that naturally fits in, if there's, you know, of, of uh, you know, that's viral or. And it's game like that makes it more engaging. Then you know, do it. But sometimes it's just tacking on something that's just would be really weird and wouldn't you wouldn't fit at all. But 
you know, it's just uh, investors or, you know, entrepreneurs. I mean, if they can, if they can jump on a wave or they can, you know, add some kind of attribute to their app to make it take off and they'll, they'll try. You know, what do you keeps- think about all this talk about bubbles? Yeah, you know, I mean, I probably are in a bubble. You, th- you think we? You think we might be in one? Well, the bubble it just isn't the economy overall. It's just it's just isolated to the um, investment community in these sort of, in, in sort of mobile and web startups. Yeah. Right, it's a very isolated bubble. So if it imploded, it wouldn't affect the economy at large. It's in aggregate, the amount of money involved is very very limited. You yeah. know, maybe under a billion dollars or maybe a few billion dollars, which is a, a rounding error on a rounding error. I mean, it's not has nothing like the dot com bust or the real estate bubble. I mean, which were you know huge comparison. Um, I saw an interest. I can't remember the name of the blog post, but I saw an interesting blog post, and it had some good points. Which is if you know if you do compare the, this the nineteen ninety nine bubble to to what's going on now, it's very different because like companies like Facebook that do have the fifty billion dollar valuation, they also have you know, billions of dollars of turnover, right? Mm-hmm. And Groupon has billions of dollars of turnover or, or certainly hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, also we're not in that scenario where we have like 250 companies that have just been IPO'd, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's like a whole, a, whole, a whole slew of factors that are different between where it's at now and where it was at in 1999. But there's also similarities such as people just kind of, over, you know, this whole color thing. Right. All right. The well, why don't you talk about what that is? So you know what you're talking about. Well, the the color thing. I mean, you know, I'm not don't have expert analysis about it, but um, it's some kind of iPhone app, um, or well, some app where you it, can take pictures or so, social socially share pictures, and they've got 40 million investment, and it's kind of like yeah, 41 million, I think, for Sequoia, right? And it's too much investment for something that's you know just a, doesn't really seem like an obvious. Would you hear the follow up on it or why? N- no, go on. Well, I guess the the founder said the reason they the the reason that they got the forty one million investment was because the tech justified it. And the tech, in simple terms, is the way he described it, um, is um, that they can figure out what people are doing um, or what people are like. They it, it allows them to sort of track behavior of some kind of what of what their users are doing or or something like that, and based on the pictures. So if you took a picture here, or did that something along those lines? It was some kind of tracking. Yeah, which which yeah, that was right. And, scary in a way. <laughs> and, and they were saying, yeah, I, I think I did hear something about that. And all the data is anonymous except for the fact that it's your faces in the picture. <laughs> right. I guess your face, your your face, and your friend's face, and everybody else's, which means you know your ultimate is trackable because a lot there's a lot there is tech out there that's. Um, Based on facial recognition. In fact, there was a there was a big startup. Um, I, if I can, I'm blanking on about four, four years ago. They got a bunch of funding that was was capable of doing that, uh, and they may have been bought by Google, but they could do facial. They had some pretty good tech that could do facial recognition. Did you see the post about um, about uh, Larry Page um, taking over Google, taking over the helm? I'm Google. not sure which one you're talking about. I did read one. Um, I didn't talk about. Either oh come on, he's already there's already a shakeup or something or just just about how like he is kind of a little bit eccentric and slightly crazy you know like um like he he's really outlandish in the ideas that he has and where he wants to go and like he has unbounded optimism about the possibilities of of technology and stuff and how uh, essentially he was kind of reined in a little bit by the Eric Schmidt but um it's it sounds like Google is going to be like they really want to go he wants to take it back to this startup phase okay you know, and uh, just really go for it. 
because <laughs> swing for the fences as if they haven't been already. But I mean, like, you know, obviously things like the the kind of car that drives itself is one classic example and buying up all the air, you know, the, the air. Um, the air? You mean the, the, the uh, spectrum? Yeah, the spectrum, air, exactly. Yeah. Wireless spectrum. Um, so they're, just saying, they're just saying, watch Google. The interesting stuff's going to happen now because it's like the, the al- alchemic mix of it is like pretty interesting and outrageous for a company. No one, no one like this has ever kind of controlled 50 billion before. Hmm. Well, that will be interesting. Um, the other thing about, I read an article today about, this is from an ex-Googler. I think they call them what, Zooglers or something? What's that? Zooglers, X-O-O-G-L-E-R-S. I, I'm oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zooglers or something. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the terminology for ex-Googlers who, you know, go around writing blog posts about Google or something. So, he uh, in the post, the guy's talking about how Google's not nearly um, it, it, things aren't working nearly as well as it should. If they want to return to their startup culture, you know, the startup mentality that they express to believe in, um, they're going to have to do a bunch of different things. And the, and the couple of things the guy was saying was like, first of all, the twenty percent rule is a myth. It doesn't happen. That people <laughs> just don't do it. I mean, it just doesn't work out that way. Um, so that's just a myth in, 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 the, in practice. I mean, yeah, theoretically you could take a day off, um, but people don't seem to, and only work on your project, but ten, people tend to do that. And, and, um, so that was kind of interesting that that, that that was the case and that there were way too many meetings. So they had something called like no meeting Thursday. He's like, if you only have one day a week with no meetings, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like, maybe you should only have meetings on Thursday. Right. And you're talking about how, um, but isn't that what wave was supposed to do? I mean, isn't wave supposed to be instead of having meetings you basically have your everything's done virtually so you don't need to kind of leave your desk and have a meeting well if you're still having a meeting virtually you're still having a meeting you're still distracted by a bunch of people talking about stuff that might amount to the same thing um because as we know uh multitasking is a myth too (laughs) people can't really multitask so if you're sitting there in a virtual meeting you're probably not really getting much but i mean how could a business run without meetings is he just is he just saying like there's too many there's just just way too many well, see, the thing is, like, the, the, and he, he made a lot of criticisms about this, like how they don't use open source software. Everything is in house and is not as good as a lot of the open source stuff, like Cassandra and, you know, um, MongoDB or, or whatever, and that they have, and that you have to go through and, 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 and your, your new systems have to be sort of Google scale, right? And the reality is, it's like there's hardly anything other than Google search that needs to run at Google scale. And it puts this sort of uh, unnecessary restriction on all on new projects. And, um, and everyone has to work through these, these sort of standardized systems that, and all these requirements. So it's like you could just build something using MySQL or MongoDB running on an, an Amazon EC2 instance, you know, in whatever language. Just to prove it. Because you you've got to, so, it, so basically you've got to spend, you know, of, of like a project that's, that would normally take you two <laughs> days, you've got to spend 10 days because eight of those days are, are making it into Google scale kind of thing. Yeah, more like two months, right? Because you got to yeah. go through all these channels and you have to get resources and they have to be, you know, this huge scalable type of thing. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, he'd give lots of examples, but the impression I got is that it, it's sort of like if you looked at Google, you'd say it's not really object oriented or it's not really sort of like everything's just not encapsulated, right? Everything has to make use of these global resources. Like you have a bunch of global variables, <laughs> you know, right. being like, you know, the, you know, whether it's a database access or different servers has to be distributed on. You can't, it's like, why do startups work? Because startups don't have to worry about, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. They don't have to have lots of meetings. They don't have to go to lots of protocols. They just go and they get a virtual server or they 
get an EC2 instance, they pay nothing to it, and they install some open source software, and they write something small, and they get it well, up there. that is, I mean, what you're describing is the R&D division of a large company. Like, so, for example, Apple would have an R&D division, Microsoft does, and, you know, why, so would Google. And those guys, in theory, should be allowed to do what the hell they like. Yeah, well, apparently, according to, according to this guy, according to this article, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And uh, that, you know, it kind of reminded, and, so you have, and then sharing all the codes, and one of the things I'm talking about, like sharing, like if you want to use, um, I don't know whether it's Big Table or, you know, whatever, Google file system or whatever, instead of you get just getting the binaries and headers in some sort of encapsulated way, that doesn't work. You, you end up just having to get the source and compile it. So he spends a ridiculous amount of time compiling code to get it to work and you know cause so much of stuff is written in c plus plus and so you have you know it's a dork around with you know make files and different things like that and i guess there's a lot of headache and just this overhead and dealing with that and um you know it's like one thing that i, th- I think one, one thing that makes startups work so well is they're sort of autonomous right they're just they're not dependent on all these other things that are going on and um and it's kind of like an object-oriented program where you think of things that are like you know cohesive uh what they call um Highly cohesive and um, loosely coupled. <laughs> so you would want like these different groups to be uncoupled from the other groups. Like we don't have to ask all each other permission to use all the stuff or go through these protocols or all this crap. And we're highly cohesive. We all work on one thing together. So you make these teams of three or five or eight people, and they work on a project together for three months or six months instead of you know. Well, that is. Do you, do you remember that blog post that I wrote called the Venture Matrix? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is basically exactly that, but. Um... It's so it's it, basically it's the idea of uh, coupling hundreds of small unit companies together to make one large company the size of Google, but each one is like an autonomous one. So it's like the the Borg network, and that's that's what the venture matrix was all about. Yeah, you know, essentially. So if, so if they want to keep launching a lot, of, if they kind of want to do the throw it against the wall and see if it sticks, and you know try a hundred different things, and they and they want this to be successful, it, it sounds like. And it, it, it makes sense because that's the way I would think about it is that just get people in small groups and say, hey, you know, you can use whatever you want. You want to use Amazon or you want to run on some other infrastructure. You want to install MySQL, do it, whatever, you know, just make it work. Because that the companies that are moving fast and are getting, launching stuff like Y Combinator style companies, that's what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it makes it, that makes it fast. And um, yeah, I thought that was kind of, it was kind of interesting. So it's similar I mean, it, to be honest, if there was ever a problem that someone like Google Google could solve, it would be making a company that could work like the Venture Matrix. Like they they, they have enough brain power there to make that work to 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 make a completely software driven company. That's and true. Fun- but sh- like that's why tr- why haven't they devoted their software talent to building software to 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 drive their company? Because I think it's like this. Okay, so um, it's almost like um, you get smart people and smart people think they figured out the best way to do things like this is how you do it and they want to force everybody to do it that way mm-hmm. right this is how you do source control this is how you you know write code this is how the kind of you know data store you use this is how you do code review whatever it is right and so because they f- because th- you're smart and because you feel like you figured out the best way to do it and then if you're if you're high enough in the company you enforce everyone you force everyone else to do it that way right but instead, but the result of it is, yeah, you may institute some some good methodologies or good practices, but essentially you are tying the hands of people. You're reducing their freedom, and you're and you're increasing bureaucracy. And I don't know. You could get to like almost look at it from a political standpoint, right? Like what, what the other guys talking about from a libertarian thing is like, okay, let everybody do their own thing, maximum freedom, do what you want, make it work, 
live or die. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The socialist, where the socialistic approach is like, okay, you know, we know best. We figured it out. We're smart. Our heart's in the right place. And we're going to institute all of these policies that everybody has to follow, period. And, uh, you know, whatever. But uh, that's, that's, that's the, the insight that guy had. And uh, well, I I mean, what, it's almost, I mean, one thing I kind of wonder is why would you even bother? Like once you have, once you're at the scale of like a hundred billion dollar company or whatever it is, like, wow. Well, I mean, how could you maintain ambition? I'm not sure what you're talking about. Like as a company, as an institution? Yeah, just, 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 just as, well, I'm just thinking about Sergey Brin and Larry Page. Like how can they maintain their ambition at this stage when, when essentially they are, you know, the rulers and they have so much money? Like how can you just well, keep okay, that well, I, well, first of all, I don't think they care. The money has never been the main thing for them. I mean, yeah, sure, they, you know, they like making money, but, you know, I don't think their, their ideas like, oh, I want to, my whole goal in life is to have enough money to buy an island or something or to... Mm-hmm own a gigantic house so I can just lie around in it and look out at the ocean. You know well, what? I already like, have that. So yeah, right. I mean, they're just boring. I mean, it's like in the end, that kind of stuff is like, doesn't affect your happiness. Um, anywhere near as much as just doing stuff that you care about, that you're interested in, that you believe in, you know? So do you and, think their ambition now is to just go down in history? Uh, I think probably their interest, their ambition is just to, no, I don't. I don't think their ambition is just to leave a historical record of themselves. I think their 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 ambition is probably to do cool stuff, to have fun, make the world better if they can, make technology, you know, realize technology goals that would be exciting to realize, to bring to fruition, you know, make things happen. And I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I my goal is not to make enough money so I can sit around and do nothing because that nothing sounds more boring to me. I mean, I'll never retire. That sounds like hell to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, just someone just sit around and do nothing, just rot. Well, we've said before, that's the awesome thing about being a coder is you probably do never need to retire. You don't. One of the few no. professions. There's, there's so much to do. It's like, you know, I mean, I think like you've talked to like most writers, they don't write like enough books until they make enough money and they just don't write anymore, right? They mm-hmm. always have stories they want to tell. They always, the process of writing, of creation is who they are. It's what they do and what drives them, what gets them up in the morning, what's painful and it's hard, but ultimately it's exhilarating and it's fulfilling. And I think that, you know, most entrepreneurs are like that, especially technology entrepreneurs. They're in it because they love technology. A lot of them like the business and the technology together. And, you know, a lot of them will, if they're successful and if they end up IPOing or selling their company to a bigger company, and they might have to go work for the bigger company for a year or two, and then they might take some time off just to kind of like chill out because they just, you know, burned from both ends for so long that they take a year or two off, but then they eventually they're back in because like, all right, that was boring. <laughs> you know, it's only so many, like, you know, how much hiking and surfing and reading and traveling I can do. Or I'm like, okay, I want to do something, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I read this article uh, last night called, um, it was like, what the rich worry about it was this big article in the Atlantic. And mm-hmm. they were talking about that where a lot of the really wealthy people are kind of unhappy for different reasons. And you think that, you know, the people who don't have that kind of money, kind of money would be like, oh, you know, what do you have to worry about? You have all this money. I mean, you know, wah, right? <laughs> I mean, poor you. But it's kind of interesting because, um, one thing they're talking about is like money changes things so much that it, it can really affect your relationships with your family and friends. So for instance, 
you know, if, if you're in a relationship or you're in a new relationship, are they with you for your money or not? Right. I mean, do you not tell them you're rich and then, and then, and then, you know, risk being, um, breaking any trust because you don't tell them then three months later or, or, or six months in the relationship to go, oh, by the way, I'm really rich. And they're like, well, have you been lying to me this whole time? That is a, that is an interesting conundrum. Or you tell them right away and they're like, well, I don't even know if they're with me or they just want to, they're a gold digger, right? Or they're friends. It's like, well, so do I pay for dinner and everything all the time? And therefore they just hang out with me because I pay, they expect something from me, you know, or, or do I not pay for anything? And everybody looks at me like I'm some kind of cheapskate. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's the worst one. Exactly. You're screwed either way. It's really awkward. You know, and I have a few friends who are worth a lot of money and it's awkward for me because I'm like, you know, you know, I don't, it's like, hey, I'll pay for it. It seems kind of like stupid for me to say that, right? They're like, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> I'm worth millions of dollars. Like you're, 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 you know, scrapping you know, as an entrepreneur, right? So they, it makes them uncomfortable because they don't want you to pay because they would feel like an asshole, right? But it makes me feel weird to have them pay for me every time. So I almost don't want to eat out with them. Yeah, because you want to pay for me. I don't want a free ride. I don't, I'm not. You exactly. Know, you're I'm too, not you're too proud. You know, I'm not their kid, you know? And so it was bizarre. I'm like, you know, I just assume not, or, or I want to go eat somewhere cheap. That's like, you know, seven bucks. Let's go to, you know, Wahoo fish tacos. Okay. You, you know, you bought me $7 lunch, you know, or, I'll, or sometimes I like to get there early. So I just kind of order mine early. <laughs> so it's like, they, they have no chance to pay for it. It just feels weird. Oh, and, I see. So, so they come in and you'll already be eating and have done it. Not eating, but you know, you order it and they're like, they show up like two minutes later and then they order theirs and you sit down. It's like, you don't have to do it. Because it just, I mean, it's fine if it happens once or twice, but like the 10th time you just feel, it just is weird. Well, what, but why don't you just say, I mean, just out of curiosity, why don't you just like basically say, I'll pay for you and you know, I'll, I'll get this. And then the next time they'll say, I'll get this. And then the next time you get this. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, you know, I would do that, but it just, a lot of times you know, a couple of friends will just be like, uh, you know, dude, I got it. Right. And they just, they don't, they just don't refuse, but yeah. I just feel awkward, but I can see how it would feel awkward for them. And they talk about in this article about how people like, so are, you know, if you give somebody a really nice present, then you're expected to give like, you know, really nice presents in the case. It's not nice. It's just expected. Like, okay, so I have to buy you everyone a car for, for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, so, so basically, money just can completely ruin relationships but it, it depends it, i think it also depends how strong the strong the bond of the relationship was in the first place well that's too but it, it, it other thing is like so a lot of times that's why wealthy people end up hanging out with other wealthy people because it makes things less weird and awkward yeah like you know if you're both worth 50 million dollars then you know if you say hey you know well let's go take a trip to uh Europe for a month and hang out. Well, someone else has to work, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. am I going to take you? Or are we on my, am I just going to, you know, am I sponsoring you for the trip? I mean, it just gets weird, you know? And plus people don't have, if everybody else is working, they can't take time off and do the things you want to do. If you're just like, Hey, I can do whatever I want. Right. So you hang out with other people can do whatever they want because they have all this money. And the other thing that I thought was kind of funny about it is that, um, you know, the, or, and the funny about the thing is I've seen this personally is that kids get ruined when you give them a ton of money, right? So if you say, okay, well, you know, you, you're going to get $10 million when you turn 21 and get another 10 million when you're 30 or something like that. Well, then it kind of robs people of a need to pursue a career, pursue a profession or do things because they know well, okay, I'll get us money. Yeah, exactly. So the whole way, the whole way towards 21, they're thinking, yeah, it's all right. Cause when I turn 21, I'll be loaded anyway. Yeah. Even if you try and hold it off, cause they said like a lot of times the the parents will start to set the trust that they only get it once they're married or once they turn 30, but they know, and their friends know, oh, well, you're going to get a ton of money in a couple of years anyway. 
<clears throat> and so what happens is these kids will not push through awkward or uncomfortable situations at jobs that they're, that they're in because they're like, ah, screw this, I don't put up with this, right? Hmm. And they just kind of, and so they don't develop a career, they don't develop a profession, they don't push anything because they don't have to. And um, It's almost and, like but, a lack of purpose then. It does. It robs you of a lack of purpose. It's kind of like the way I put it is like, it's like, let's say that, you know, we go and you and I are going to go play some sport or whatever. And I say, okay, by the way, Justin, you win. Anyway, just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're like, well, okay. Uh, do we play anyway? I'm like, no, you don't have to play. You win. You win automatically. You're, 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 let's go play chess. Let's play swarm, right? Play against swarm. I go, oh, <laughs> you win. You know, we don't ever play. It's just kind of like, I don't know. And you don't get to do any of the fun stuff because, and, and, you know, like for instance, we talk about like coding and people moving out of coding and moving into management. It's like, well, no, you don't get the fun stuff anymore. The fun stuff is building stuff. Mm. That's the fun stuff. Well, guess what? If you're worth $50 million, you know, maybe it's a hard to get yourself to sit down and, and write code because you don't really have to. And so you don't get to having the fun. You just go to board meetings and invest in other people, but you well, yourself don't get to experience it. But I mean, as long as there's somewhere higher up the food chain, you've always got, there's always an ambition that you can pursue. So as long as, you know, Google and Bill Gates exist, you know, you can, you can keep having a target to aim for. Well, I don't think it really plays. I don't think everyone's worried, like, how can I, can I be the richest person in the world? I mean, there is that element that people feel like they're not rich because of the people who are richer. Well, that's game mechanics, isn't it? Yeah, leveling up. I'm going to level up, be a 50, yeah. I want to be a 100 millionaire. Yeah, and that's true. They talk about that. How, how these, how these people feel like they're rich because there's other people who are rich. And of course, it's just ridiculous. And the thing is that the people who inherited money are the people who felt the most vulnerable. Like, I wouldn't feel rich until I had a billion dollars. I actually had a friend of mine tell me that. The guy who's worth hundreds of millions. Told me. He said, I won't feel rich till I have a billion. I remember the conversation. I remember where we were walking the street in Chicago. We were walking. (laughs) And I said, well, how much do you? And he's like, I don't think I'd feel completely safe if I had a billion. (laughs) I'm like, dude, if I got got five grand in the bank, I'm feeling pretty safe. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) A billion? But Jesus. That's a lot. The other thing we're talking about is people who get, um, who have money uh, given, uh, no, parents who say are, are, could give their kids a lot of money, but then if they don't, you know, how does that affect their kids? Are the kids going to resent them? Yeah, but yeah, but, and uh, other people will look badly on them. Oh God, you stingy bastard. You're not yeah. giving money to your kids. Yeah, you know, your kid, um, you know, you're worth, you're worth $100 million and you gave it away to charity and now your kids are, you know, working at Walmart. That was a really well. Good. That's ridiculous. That 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 doesn't happen. Or whatever. But you know, it's like you know, it's they're struggling, right? You couldn't even help them pay for their college, or maybe you could have helped them put a down payment on their home at least, or maybe this. I mean, where does it stop? And so you have this constant this struggle between, um, you know, spoiling, it, ruining, stealing their their life from them in a sense because they no they no longer have to struggle. They don't have to live life. They just sit back and invest or something. Yeah. Or you don't give them anything, and then you 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 really worry that they're going to be um, resenting you because, you know, you didn't give them anything. So I thought it was really interesting. And I've seen it firsthand because I've known um, a number of people who um, were worth just vast sums of money and I've seen how it screwed them up. It was really, it's really kind of strange. And I'm like, you know, I'm glad, you know, well, it sounds funny, but glad it didn't happen to me and I wouldn't want it to happen to my kids. I wouldn't, if I was successful at some point and I'd be like, that, that is a really scary problem. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I don't know. I just, money is a, uh, it's a strange thing. I mean, I currently don't have that problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just, just, just go to Wahoo's and get like a 10 buck meal. (laughs) You know, the thing is, I just realized it's like a lot of things that are expensive. I just don't really care about. I just don't. I mean, I, I don't need much to make my, to make me happy. You know, read a book, 
go get some sushi. You know, that's a splurge, right? It's like the other night, it's like, I, you know, it was funny. It was uh, Saint Edge went out and went, you know, for the, get a babysitter for the kids and went out and got sushi. And I'm just like, oh, this is so nice. Like it was like, it was like I was in heaven. Just to take a couple hours off and just, and just have some sushi with my wife for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Like, this is great. You know, this is, this is as gets, you know, just having a nice walk in the evening and, you know, and it's like, you think about through, do through your day and the things that make you happy. It's like, oh, just sitting down with a, you know, with some coffee and, and you're sitting down and writing some code and stuff. It's like, this is great. Like, this is, you know, this is what I love to do. And uh, it's the stuff that seems like the stuff that seems like it's really awesome. Like, oh, we're going to go skiing or snowboarding in, in the Vale or something. It's like, yeah, it's kind of fun, but sometimes it's, it's not that much more fun or even as fun as some of the simpler pleasures. Once you do them, you're like, okay, well, I'm actually, I'm kind of bored. I've skied down this mountain, you know, five times and my ass is freaking Talking about off. being in strange places and going on nice holidays, I've heard a, a trend happening on a few podcasts, including uh, the Startups of the Rest of Us and another podcast that I was listening to, where they, they ask their listeners, where, where are you listening to the, to the show when you listen hmm. to it? Right. And they, they get back some very interesting answers. So I'd love to, I'd love to ask our listeners, where are you? Right when you're listening to the show, and what are you doing? <laughs> I think we might we might get back a few interesting ones. Yeah, you know, I think people are, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I I would guess that most people are not sitting at their computer doing other stuff. Yeah, babe, I think it's like um, commuting, well, working out, doing chores around the house. Yeah, that's what Sebastian Sebastian does chores around the house when he listens to the show. I do that sometimes. I know I listen to most of them when I'm um, at the gym working out or when I'm eating lunch by myself. You know, and and because a lot of times. You know, I go out to eat three or four days a week um, just to get out of the house since I work at home. <laughs> I just, like, mm. got to get out for an hour and go. Yeah, it's cabin fever. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it allows me to reset myself and get motivated for the rest of the day. And, you know, if I'm sitting there by myself, I don't have, if I'm meeting anyone for lunch, it, it's, it's good to have someone to listen to. Did you see that we've got that one review on iTunes saying, I like the show, but Justin and Jason bicker too much? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have one review? <laughs> no, no, we've got, like, 12 reviews. That's, that's one of the reviews. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, maybe we need to... I don't think we fight enough. I think we need to fight. No, it's true. <laughs> so, um... We've been getting on recently. Right. So, I, I, I have a... Um, you know, what... I, I, can't, I can't think of it. I was going to look it up before the show, but I, I ran out of time. Is, you know, in, in MySQL, when you do, like, a, a full text search, and you can come up with a list, here are the list of words that I, we skip that we don't index, like... Oh, stop list, stuff. yeah. Stop list, right? It's a yeah. Stop list. I was thinking I want to write a blog post called, uh, you know, this is the new hacker news or whatever web stop, uh, stop list. You can't say passion, dead simple, pivot, lean. <laughs> you, well, know? you saw it's that. Like you, did, did you see that, that site uh, with the guy who basically created this hacker news story title generation script? Oh, yeah. It's kind of, I guess that would be kind of similar. Yeah. But. But the point I wanted to make about it is it's not just that it's irritating because every, everybody's, you know, passionate, right? Everybody's pivoting and lean and everything they build is dead simple, right? Yeah. It's that the problem is, is that it doesn't tell you anything. It's, it, it, it's, it's like our brains work in such a way that, it, it, and I remember reading this from, um, it was a book called On Intelligence by Jeff Hawkins, the guy who created Palm, computer, the handheld um, yeah. computer thing, um, PDA. Well, he he's big into the neuroscience research and he started uh, a company called, I think it's the Red Roots, Redwoods Institute where they do all this sort of 
AI neuroscience stuff. And he wrote a big book on it called on intelligence and their research on how the brain actually works. And they're trying to, you know, obviously model that using um, software. And one of the things they were saying is that, you know, our, our brains work like kind of a prediction machine in the sense that we're just pre- like every time you take a step, it's predicting what's going to happen. And, and, and we have this sort of real time sort of compression algorithm in the sense that we filter out all the things that we expect to be there so that we only notice things when they're sort of not what we expect. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think when you read stuff and you just start filtering out all these words because they're just so common, right? When you say passion, passionate, or you say dead simple, I, it doesn't mean anything to me. Right? I don't know. I think it's almost the other way around. I think that what, what happens is um, when people see stuff that they're used to being rewarded for, like, so they, they click on a link and it's like, oh, that's the entrepreneur that I want to see. Then they look for more stories with those titles and they basically filter out words that they don't understand. I don't know. I think, I think if you read, I'm not talking about like um, titles, but I'm talking more like a description, like in a blog post, right? You're talking about, we're working on this thing and our thing is totally dead simple. It's like, it's like if you're writing a story, right? And let's say you're describing a girl and you're like, and she's beautiful. And that's all you describe her. It's like, well, I didn't tell me anything. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, oh, and she's beautiful and she's really nice. I mean, you know, that's a really crappy description, right? You didn't tell us anything about the girl. You didn't know you, right? you told us you didn't show us. You need, you, you can tell us, you can tell us, but it's always better to show rather than tell. Mm. But in, 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 in writing you usually, okay, maybe not use the word always, but there always, there's a good rule of thumb, which is show, don't tell. Yeah. It's, it's usually more interesting to um, describe someone through action than it is through just um, exp- exposition. But the when you're um when you are describing someone i mean describe it in a way that it's it's unique what what is about this thing is interesting why would i pay attention what you know how would you describe this person in a way you say oh they're really smart and really tall and you know whatever and had black hair it's like okay well (laughs) that's not it's better than the really pretty or something but it's just i think that um you know, that's the same thing with these words. It's like, you know, they don't mean anything. And, you should, and I think that um, if people want uh, people to get interested, our users or people coming there to be interested in what they're doing, try and use words, try and use phrases that are unique and interesting and, ha- and that aren't used on these other sites. Because dead simple is so overused. It's just like passionate. We're passionate. It's like, what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You know, what have you done? Oh, we've worked on this thing for three hours to four in the morning. I haven't done it. You know, if you went to some kind of full description, you'd be like, damn, that guy's committed. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have nine credit cards into this thing. You know, like, now that would be an interesting story, right? I've, yeah. I've maxed out all my credit cards, all my brother's credit cards. My parents haven't talked to me in a 16, you know, in 18 months because I, I low, I borrowed money. It's from true. Cards. I mean, but to be honest, you, but that, that's like link bait, like, you could have a title that said, I've maxed out all my credit cards and haven't spoken to my family for a year. That's it. Yeah. That, I'm, that's I, that's I'm, number one I can use. Yeah. yeah. I'm not <laughs> saying that it has to be a title, but in the description, I mean, get specific, damn it. You know, quit using these throwaway words. It's just boring. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, um, a friend of mine just started a, a, a blog, um, and I'll, I'll keep him anonymous because I think he was remain anonymous at this time. So I've, I've had two friends start a blogs about high frequency trading. Okay. And both at my behest, right? I kept saying, not my behest, but I encouraged them. I said, listen. You kept bugging them. I said, like look, you do. You know, both of them are like, you know, we're out of the game and they're trying to get back in the game. They want to get hooked up with a, with a you know, top-notch firm or something. And I said, listen, you know, this is how you do it, right? You create a blog 
and you start writing about it and you demonstrate your expertise and uh, your experience through this, through, you know, through your post. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, 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 it's already worked for one and it looks like it's going to work for the other guy too, you know? And I was giving um, this other friend of mine some advice on it. And I said, look, get specific. Don't be so vague and topic. Cause this is not only is it not interesting, but it doesn't add a whole lot of value, you know, tell either tell it like a very personal story or get specific about what you're doing. And I, I said, you know, one, and, and I suggested both of them, but neither of them have done it yet. I said, you know, the high frequency trading and the sort of algorithmic trading is sort of a black box. It's a big mystery to a lot of people. And so therefore it's very, it's a curiosity. People are interested in it because it's like, well, what's behind the curtain? You know, how are mm -hmm. these guys making money? Like, how do they come up with a strategy? I said, create a story about a strategy, like, like a five part place, like how you thought of the idea, how you did experimented and figured out and, and refined what the strategy, trading strategy was, how you verified that it was going to work, how you deployed it, how profitable it was, how you measured its profitability and its risk, how long it lasted, when you decided to take it off and retire it and why in postmortem. Mm -hmm. That would be fascinating. That would tell if you got really specific. I mean, you could even tell like a story. It's like, oh, so I got in one day and I was late and I first trade off, I lost five grand. But then I noticed for the third time in a row that this situation occurred in the market. And I said, and I thought, hey, you know what? If I try X and I went into MATLAB or I went into this and I ran some analysis and I started, I mean, that would be fascinating. I would get like 500 <laughs> points, you know, and, but you got to get specific. And the problem is everybody likes to get at this sort of high level abstract. Well, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z when you do it. It's like, well, I don't know. It doesn't really mean much to me if I don't have any concrete examples. We should we should call this um, Jason Roberts rant of the day. Yeah, well, you're so quiet tonight. That, that's the, that's the new section. Well, ap apologies for being quiet. Um, the reason why I'm, I'm quiet is because, as I told you, I wasn't I wasn't feeling particularly great. Um, but I think we've been doing all right. Yeah, yeah I think I think it's not it's not the worst show we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and I got more. <laughs> hey, yeah, no, I know. I mean, it's like people. People don't believe when I tell them that, you know, I, I actually could just completely not say anything and you could do an entire hour and a half on your own. But I think this this is one of those shows that can really prove that point. Well, what, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pivot the show and um, I'll quickly uh, go through uh, an update with Plugio, the revenue, because that's kind of interesting. Cool. Um, just to keep, to keep up to date with where that's at. Okay, so Plugio in December 2010, first 27 days, had $702. Plugio in March 2011, first 27 days, has $1,316. That's fantastic. Not too bad. Not, not too shabby. That's not bad at all. However, I am seeing a worrying trend this month, but it could okay. be uh, slightly, it, it may not be an accurate trend because of a change that I made. Okay, so in January and February, I had um, a free 30-day trial. Okay. And the 30 days wait pissed me off so much that I changed it to 14 days mm -hmm. in March. So now I have a 14 day trial. But the thing is, is that now in March, so my, my, my basic um, sign up to cancel rate. Well, see, here's the other problem. I, I don't have them separated. Like I don't have a, a way at the moment of telling whether someone canceled if they're a paying customer or if they cancel from a free trial. So I've kind of got them merged into the one group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is not very right. useful. But anyway, in January, I had like, of that one group, I basically had a, a, a cancel rate of like 43% against signups. Okay. So in other words, uh, 51 people signed up and 22 people canceled in January. Okay. In February, 35 people signed up and 21 people canceled. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
in March, 43 people signed up and 39 people cancelled. So more people cancelled. Yeah, so basically 91% of people cancelled. But the problem is, is that it could be, a fair old chunk of those could be people who signed up in February because of the 30-day rollover thing. And then, because I then had the the 14-day trial in March... So do, am I making any sense, or is it just... Yeah, all- it's kind of hard to um, to separate those variables um, cleanly and know what's going on. Yeah, right? so so it kind of... So, so basically, this month's stats say, well, 91% of people have cancelled, but the problem is is that it it's an amalgamation of this month and last month. So I, I don't know whether... And that also may be contributing to the big growth of this month as well, because right. it's the 14-day trial some of those people started paying this month. So... You know, that's why I'm kind of undecided about how well it's doing, even though it seems to be doing well. Yeah, well, it's you need more data, more time, more data. You know, more <laughs> months. That's why. But, that's why the whole thing I was talking about the last show, where you're like, "Well, I'm going to create a course." I'm like, "Well, I think you need more evidence in three months." <laughs> well, you know? I, I really wanted to have, try that Nosby thing of of the sixty days. Okay. Don't you think that's good? Yeah. So, we're, 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 you know, why don't you recap that for people who may have not listened? To okay. The show. So basically. The no, what Nosby does is rather than give you a 30-day free trial, they give you a 60-day risk-free period, but you start paying straight away. So as soon as you sign up, you've given them money. Then 30 days later, they'll take another piece of money, and then you have another 30 days to say, okay, I want a, I want a refund. Right. So you, it's kind of going in for the sunk cost, like you, which you describe better than I, I can, actually. The sunk cost fallacy? Well, not, I don't know if it's a sunk cost fallacy, but it's just like once people have sunk that cost, they're less likely to yeah, be stressed yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the sunk cost. It's just, yeah, when people, right, exactly. When people put some effort into something or they feel like, okay, well, I might as well. It's too painful to get it back. People don't like really ask for the money back. It's like, ah, just, you know, especially if they had some reason to want to use something anyway. I think it drives them to actually start doing it. So it's like they talk about people care about stuff they pay for. I, I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I wonder if... If I did it that way around, would would they put more commitment into discovering and exploring the product than if they had a free trial? I think so. I think okay. so because you know I think the truth is that people, if you spend money on something, you want to feel like you're making use of it. You know, That's so they'll they'll uh, yeah I think they'll engage with it more. That would be my guess. So I then, to, okay, yeah. so then the problem is uh, not it's not an insurmountable problem, but it's just a problem is that the whole affiliate system now works based on money being captured, I'd have to kind of change around the affiliate system so that to say, look, you know, you can't get that money until 60 days after, after they've signed up kind of thing. Yeah. Well, isn't, um, isn't Michael over at, uh, Nosby, isn't that what he does? He uses affiliates. I guess, I guess you, you send him an email, email, email him and ask him how he does it. Cause you couldn't pay it. affiliates if you didn't know you were definitely going to have the money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Email him and ask him what works, he, whatever he's doing, which obviously works. Anyway, that's my quick little plug you update. See, just that's, so that- that's, that's one of the benefits of uh, doing the show is that you can actually email these people personally. <laughs> yeah. How did this work out for you? What do I do? You know? Yeah, that's true. I know I'll do it. I'll yeah. put him an email. Yeah, I'm sure he'd give you an answer. So yeah, why not? Um, so we're, we're coming up to 128. Have you got uh, something you'd like to close the show with? Yeah, one, a couple, yeah, one of those things is, um, so we have uh, Leslie Kane is coming on the show in a couple Leslie weeks. Leslie Kane. No, it's spelled Kane. It's it's. I mean, it's it's pronounced Kane. It's spelled Keen. Okay. So Leslie Kane is an investigative reporter. She did a bunch of stuff about the, I think, the coup and stuff that was happening in Indonesia, stuff like that. Yeah. And 
she ended up a few years ago starting to investigate some of the UFO stuff. And as people who've listened to the show know that uh, from, from way back know that I do have an interest in that, in, uh, in the UFO stuff. At least the, I'm interested in anything that would be uh, admissible in a court of law, right? If, 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 if any evidence that you have is not admissible, if it's just some, you know, oh, I, some guy saw something and thought he, it's like, eh, you know, whatever, right? But when you have multiple radar returns and clear weather by expert radar operators, multiple close-range sightings by experienced pilots and clear weather at close range, that's interesting, <laughs> right? right? I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know how you can claim that that's not interesting. Um, and the reality is, is there's a lot more that Evans and people understand there to be so people think oh it's just a bunch of yokels you know driving on a road and saw some light and say yeah i think that's a ufo you know and it turns out <laughs> swamp gas or you know or uh you know a reflection off a cloud or some bs but um anyway so uh i you know ever since we um interviewed um or even before that but i my my interest was peaked um when i saw a couple of videos of um richard dolan giving a uh, giving a talk on it and then we had him on the show and that was like show 50 something which was really good and so i thought you know who who in the world who who investigates this stuff who's really credible um and leslie kane is as credible as you're going to get i mean she's a hardcore investigative journalist and she wrote a book called ufos yeah um pilots as ufos pilots generals and government officials go on the record and uh she just deals with things from a very matter of fact like this is this is what these people said, and this is the evidence, and this is the documentation, and whatever. So, so when when are we when's that going to be? I think it's on the thirteenth, April thirteenth. We're going to interview her, and awesome. shockingly, she said yes because you know she was on the Colbert Report. Um, she was on some of these network morning shows. I mean, she got major mainstream attention when she came out with this book a few months ago because she's she's legit, right? I mean, she's yeah. not some you know nobody off in the middle of nowhere, you know, just writing some i would love to have seen the colbert stuff. report that must have been hilarious yeah yeah i'm sure you can find it on youtube, uh, on YouTube. <laughs> and um so uh yeah i sent her an email i didn't hear back for like a week and i was like well you know what do you expect right i mean she's stuck a response what do you expect with a, a, a website that's got a design like ours i'm telling you no right? hope Over one, one, but one, what happened a, a couple jokers this big fish this big catch came back to you and said well, yeah i, I want to do it in spite of it i think it's in spite of the design <laughs> i think <laughs> right. better design it would be higher we'd have a higher return because there's plenty of people who don't respond to my emails all right invitations so I- anyway she she's going to come on we get we're, she said she'll she'll uh, allocate an hour to the show so we can get in and so i need to order her book and just can kind of cram on it the next couple weeks so that i have some, some good questions for her. so that should be pretty cool awesome so on Tuesday, we have um, Kevin O'Connor, who was the uh, founder of, or co-founder of DoubleClick, which was sold to Google for, uh, I don't know, like 2003 or something, for like $3 billion. And what was interesting about, not only did we, have we landed a really big fish in this interview, um, is that we were pitched on it. And we were pitched very professionally. Yeah, so it was, um, I don't know if it was like his uh, assistant or you know, person, person who's in charge of PR or marketing for his company. Um, um, but she was really professional and she really, you know, she just doesn't like she sent us like a one sentence email said, Hey, you know, do you want to interview? She actually sent a really sort of, I don't know, professional pitch to us. And only that she had read, she referenced an article that I had written on my blog 
She said, oh, your friend Mike Arrington, your, who, whose couch you crashed on, wrote this about. <laughs> kind of like, what? <laughs> no, that's very, it was, it was so professional. I, and I said to, to Jason when we got the pitch, I was like, okay, you know that the show's going somewhere if we're receiving these, this level of pitch. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was uh, yeah, I have to say that that was uh, definitely um, ego boosting to know that we would, um, that somebody like that would reach out to us and want to actually spend time on our show. I mean, it's one thing for us to send an email to somebody we consider a big fish and it's a nice email and they're actually like, okay, I'll come on your show, right? Maybe that's just being nice. Like John C. Dvorak or Jason Calacanis or, you know, or Leslie Kane. I mean, these people have much bigger platforms than we have. And for them to come on our show, it's probably just being generous, right? They don't need our platform to, to, right. to, 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 to voice their opinion or, or get information out. But, um, you know, so that, but it's really nice when we have that. But then when you have them come to reach out to us, it's pretty cool. But the, I think the reason is, is because our audience is an audience of true influencers, right? So it's, it, I, can, I can understand why um, this, uh, this particular guest is interested in coming on the show. Just because I think we've got a very strong audience in that sense. Well, and we're growing. I mean, you know, I mean, look, if a lot of people, um, a lot of even big shots in a sense, um, it, you know, sort of like taking the side of what I just said, like if you're a, uh, uh, a um, an author, right? And you pub and you publish a book. You'll go on a book tour, right? You'll stand up and give talks for like an hour or two in front of an audience of fifty or a hundred people. Well, you know, with us, you can come on the show and not and not leave your home and talk to us for an hour, hour and a half, and you have somewhere between a thousand and two thousand people listen to it and growing, <laughs> right? So, I mean, now it's gonna it's it's north of a thousand. Now you're gonna have probably. It looks like now we're getting between fifteen hundred and two thousand after a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, so we're getting close to that. So that's getting it, it's 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 getting easier and easier to make the case. When we had two hundred fifty people after, two, I was looking at this in March of last year. It took us two weeks to get to like two hundred and twenty people, <laughs> and now we have a couple of shows that are um, north of uh, this recent discussion show is north of like twenty three hundred or something. Right after like week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, so it's good. We're like somewhere between eight and ten times growth in a year. Yay us. So it's worth worth so we're just getting somewhere. <laughs> now if we could just do that for another couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And for our own companies as well. So it would take ten or twenty thousand people. But um so yeah, so we have uh Kevin coming on, we have Leslie Kane coming on, and we have um um a Lucas, I believe his name, who's the uh, uh Carlson, I believe, who's the founder of PHP Fog, which is sort of like a Heroku of PHP. Okay. Is that, is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that, that once again sounds like an awesome guest. So we've got a jam jam packed lineup of awesome guests. Yeah. So, but I got nothing after that, so I have to. But I think I can chill out, relax a couple of weeks, and not worry about inviting people. Yeah. No, you've, you've been doing a good job. I have to tell you, it takes a lot of work to do that, man. It's yeah. like back and forth and back and forth. And you know, some people, it's just a few emails of like, hey, you know, <laughs> when they're going to be available, and is it on Skype, and do they have a headset and stuff? But like for uh, Kevin O'Connor, right? You're going back and forth, and like what questions you're going to ask and this and that. And you have to like write up all these questions for them. And so well, they have an when understanding. When you talk to someone who's had a $3 billion exit, I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's justified. Yeah. Well, you know, so, some people, well, so, some people are just kind of like, uh, like whatever, just when are we doing it? And other people yeah. want to have a better sense of what the questions and topics are going to be and everything, right? They just, they, they need a little more information. They're not as comfortable just winging it. 
And mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, maybe Kevin would be fine with it, but when you're dealing with his um, assistant or his marketing director, they are going to make sure that things are set up and squared away because they, yeah. you know, just for their own, um, cover their own butt, right? Or just make sure that they're doing their job, right? Because if they go in and things aren't the way that they present it to their boss and they're going to be <laughs> not a good situation. So I guess you can see why they would do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, I guess that's about it, man. Are you pinging me on, uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you that, uh, you know, why don't you just tell me we're one forty in. Quit kicking I don't me under the sound table. like a harpy. Well, quit kicking me under the table. I, you know, I can't, I can't, <laughs> All right. you know, I can't talk and read at the same time. It's like every time my wife would do that to me, she kicked me on the table. I'm like, why are you kicking me on the table? <laughs> All right. Wrap it up, dude. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. 